From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrin. Hey, thanks for inviting me into your homes. This is The Conspiracy Show, and my name is Richard Serrett. Before we get started, I, um, I gave out the wrong number for the box office at the Regent Theatre in Oshawa. What a horrible self-promoter I am. Uh, I was uh, talking earlier about Follow the Truth, the Conspiracy Show Summit, Sunday, November the 16th. It's an all-day event at the Regent Theatre in Oshawa. I'm bringing six amazing speakers to town, Dr. Ronald Mallett, theoretical physicist from the University of Connecticut to talk about time travel. He's building a, or at least he's sort of conceptualized a theoretical time machine that he says works. He just needs the funding and the resources to bring it to fruition. So Dr. Mallett will be there. Uh, Jim Penniston, retired U.S. Air Force officer who was one of the witnesses at the Bentwaters Air Force Base or Woodbridge Air Force Base in the south of England in December 1980. Actually uh, walked around and, and, and put his hand on this uh, strange craft the Rendlesham Forest UFO incident. It's it's Britain's Roswell, if you will. Speaking of Roswell, Don Schmidt will also be here uh, to talk about uh, the Roswell. She's the world's foremost investigator. Patty Greer on crop circles. Chilvich talks about, he's an electrical engineer, talks about uh, evidence that uh, we are living in a digital simulation. Are we living in the matrix? That's Jim Elvich. And uh, Richard Dewhurst, Emmy Award-winning writer, um, talks about the ancient giants who ruled America. That's Sunday, November the 16th at the Regent Theater in Oshawa. Followthetruth.tv. That's the website. Now, here's the box office number, the correct box office. It's 905-721-3399. 905-721-3399. And mention the code word Roswell and receive a 25, 25% discount. 25% discount. Mention the word Roswell. 905-721-3399. All right, now this is going to be interesting because uh, we are still having some phone issues and uh, we're trying to get a hold of somebody and I didn't want to reveal. I didn't want to reveal who we're trying to get a hold of. I didn't want to promote the fact that this uh, gentleman was uh, on the program in case we couldn't get him because we've tried in the past and we failed. Anyway, um, we may end up doing some open lines here. I'll get the word from my producer. But I, I wanted to say, to say something else. Obviously, the situation in Ferguson, Missouri, uh, continues to uh, garner a lot of attention, and deservedly so. Uh, anytime an 18-year-old um, person is, is shot dead in the street, unarmed, uh, by those who are, have sworn you know, to, to, to protect and serve, that is cause for immeasurable concern. Uh, but I want to share what, with you what I believe is a very astute commentary on the situation there. It's from a, a gentleman by the name of Doug Giles, who is the author of Rise, Kill, and Eat, A Theology of Hunting from Genesis to Revelation. I may say this comes from an unlikely quarter, but anyway, this is Doug Giles. As we've seen this past week in Ferguson, Missouri, folks are fed up and ready to break crap if they have, if they have to in order to bring about justice. And I dig that spirit. However, and this is just my advice, before we start burning the mother down, we should take, make certain that the war we wage, the cause we champion, and the person we support is noble and legit. With that in mind, herewith are nine things to consider before you burn your neighborhood or city down to the ground. Check it out. Prior to rioting, looting, and pillaging, and taking off a week to trash the place in which you live and risk being tear-gassed, shot, and or, or even run over by uh, a new army tank, ask yourself these nine diagnostic questions. Has the man I want to champion just been exposed on CCV stealing Swisher Sweet cigars by the armload from a convenience store? Did this self-same man violently grab, shove, and intimidate a tiny little store clerk? Did the man I'm supporting flip off the camera a lot via Twitter? Did the man I'm ready to go to bat for make gang signs quite often as he sat for photographic portraits taken by his friends? Also, before you go out on a limb in a revolution, Try to be certain that the person you're willing to go to jail for didn't climb into a cop's car and then punch him in the face. Similarly, make sure your champion didn't try to take the police officer's firearm before you paint him as a damsel in distress. Now, this, th these are the words of, of Doug Giles, author of Rise, Kill, and Eat, a theology of hunting from Genesis to Revelation, uh, talking about the, uh, well, what's going on down in Ferguson, Missouri, in the wake of the, uh, the shooting of this unarmed uh, young man, Michael Brown. 
So I just thought that was a very uh, interesting comment, and I wanted to share that with you. Now, Tim, in the other room, what is happening with our phones? Uh, Tim has run down the hall to uh, Master Control uh, to see if we can't resolve this. Our phones are dead, and um, that makes... Uh, live uh, or that makes live talk radio kind of difficult. Was someone just trying to get my attention on the window? No. Okay. I thought that might have been Tim. Uh, I had um, someone in mind to bring onto the program. Someone I've been trying to get on the program for quite some time. There's Tim. Tim, how are we doing? The f- no. The phones are down. Tim is throwing his hands up in the air. He's in <laughs> distress. Uh, which precludes us from doing open lines as well. Uh, but as luck would have it, I have someone here in studio who's been uh, hanging around, and I'm going to press him into service. He's our uh, our good friend from Zeland Communications, and uh, we were talking recently with uh, a filmmaker uh, who is attempting to make a major Hollywood film about the, uh, the the life of the late Dr. John Mack, Harvard University professor and alien abduction researcher. So uh, while we uh, attempt to get these phones working, I'm just going to uh, welcome once again Victor Vigiani. How are you, my friend? Just fine, and thank you for having me. Just, thank you for being yes. uh, there at this uh, pleasure at this moment. Listen, um, you're involved in a, uh, a rather interesting UFO conference yourself. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to spend, because that's happening very soon, right? That's correct, yeah. Uh, tell me about that. It'll be uh, just north of Toronto, in Schaumburg, uh, Ontario. And uh, it's called ET Intelligence, uh, the Consciousness Connection. And uh, it's sort of a retreat. Uh, it's framed as a retreat. It's a getaway for people to uh, to come and listen to several, um, several speakers. Uh, Daniel Sheehan will be there, a uh, lawyer and activist. Um, as a matter of fact, he was uh, one of the people who um, who represented John John Mack uh, in front of the the Harvard uh, uh, lynching mob uh, uh, when when John Mack was called into question about his research with abductees. Yeah, that was a, re- a real witch trial, wasn't oh, it? Oh, for sure, absolutely. Uh, it, you know, in in my conversations with Daniel. Um, I was away in California this, this past week, and he made it very, very clear that uh, the organization Time, uh, Time Magazine, or Time Warner, whoever they were at that time, were responsible for um, flapping some wings in the direction of, uh, of, of Cambridge, uh, Harvard University, and um, asking the board of directors to call the question on John Mack to uh, make him stop investigating such a bizarre thing as alien abductions. And uh, Daniel did represent him at the time, and uh, he did a very good job of exonerating uh, John, and the board allowed John to continue with his work. Um, so that, that's one of the things. That he's one of the speakers that's going to be there. Uh, Grant Cameron, a Canadian UFO researcher, uh, who's just recently been becoming more and more involved in his whole consciousness connection uh, with the extraterrestrial factor that uh, seems to be, um, you know, there's a truth embargo, so engaging the planet. We know Grant from presidential UFOs. He's the one that scours the presidential libraries for all these documents relating to UFOs. He's been on the program and talked that's to right. us a number of times. That's right, yes. So he'll be there. He'll be there. Uh, um, I, I'll be doing some presenting. I, I'll, my major role there will be as moderator. Um, however, I will um, uh, do some pres- presenting. And I think on day two or three I'm, I'm scheduled to, to, to speak. And I'm hoping to um, uh, possibly bring up the idea uh, of um, still throwing it around, of actually doing some work uh, and talking about uh, John Mack and his work, because he's the one who began all of this kind of thing uh, in terms of uh, the, the spirituality and the, and the consciousness connection among all the among all creatures, you know, there's there's this consciousness connection that we're all linked in some way. And uh, he's of the opinion, uh, many of us are anyways, that um, E.T. is attempting to, to communicate with us, not just by these gross sightings of, of, of craft, but in other kinds of ways uh, that John Mack initially talked about in, uh, in his first book, Abduction, and then eventually into uh, his, his, his last book, uh, Passport to the Cosmos. And that was one of the very strong themes in that book, that we are being contacted in ways that we just might not understand. So I'd, I'd like to maybe address that whole issue at the retreat coming up. It's coming up um, August 28th to 31st, I believe, yes, 28th to 31st in Schaumburg. All right. I, I, you know, you, have and I, uh, you and I have never sat down uh, before a microphone and talked about this, to my knowledge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and following our conversation about Dr. John Mack and his research into alien abductees, I want to talk to you, to you about your experiences because you were a, a school principal mm-hmm. for many years right. in the Catholic school board. That's correct. And 
you had students that you suspected were abductees. And there's there's a couple of interesting cases, and, and uh, let's let's begin that conversation now if we could. Well, it's uh, it's rather disturbing for me to even think about it again, uh, Richard, because it was so uh, intense at the time. Uh, having been an administrator for the for the uh, Catholic School Board um, in several schools, uh, approximately nine schools that, that I was in charge of for uh, about 30 years in, in that tenure, uh, the second last school, as I recall, yes, I was the second last school I was at. Uh, I was there for five years, and I believe it was in my second last year there. And I'd been on the radio um, uh, with another radio station talking about the whole UFO issue, and I was sort of a regular. And I, I didn't make a big deal about it in my career, and I just kept on doing it. No one said anything to me in an official way. I just kept on doing it. And um, it was one morning uh, that, that struck me um, very, very strongly, this little fellow who he had a lot of trouble with. He was in grade two. We'll call him Tommy for now, okay? He came in one day, and Tommy had all kinds of behavioral issues. We didn't know what to do with Tommy. He would do, he would hit, bite, scream, uh, run out of the classroom, a very, an uncontrollable child. And he had several parental issues and, and so on and so forth. He came in one morning, and um, he had his lunch bag all tattered, and his, and his shirt was all kind of unraveled inside out, and his hair was all askew, and he was really just in a foul, foul mood, I could tell, because he was late. It was about 9.30. So he came in and attempted to get in the class. I said, no, Tommy, come here. What's wrong? You're, you're late. Come and sit down with me and we'll talk. He just looked unsettled. So I brought him into the office, and he sat in the chair, and he was very frumped up. He was just beside himself. I said, this is not going to be a good day for you, is it, Tommy? He said, no, it's not. I said, how come? And then he said, I didn't sleep well last night. I didn't sleep. Just couldn't sleep. I said, you couldn't sleep? Well, you don't, you don't look like you've slept well at all because his face was all, you know, that, that, that look that children have. Um, or that you get to know. And I said, why didn't you sleep well? And he looked from side to side and he said, they came back. And I said, what do you mean they came back? He said, the monsters, the little monsters. And at that time I'd been, you know, dealing with individuals that would, you know, discuss with me being taken and experienced this, this so-called alien abduction phenomenon. And I didn't link the two at, at the time. But then again, I said, well, how do they, how, where are they? Did you see, he said, they're at, the foot of my bed and behind my dresser. And I said, okay. And this began to make more sense. And I didn't want to lead him on too much. You know, I, you don't do that with children. You try to get as authentic an answer as you can. But knowing full well what this might turn into, I said, well, how do they get into your room? And he said, well, there's the orange lights outside. And this is one of the things that abductees always talk about, this light outside their window. And how do they get into the room? They come right through the window. And this is exactly what Tommy said to me. They come in my window. He said, I said, well, do they open the window? No, they come through my window. And I just, you know, I was sitting in my office and principal of the school, a child sitting in front of me. I didn't what know. What do you do with that? <laughs> what do I do with it? Um, well, what I did with it, <laughs> I didn't do anything in an official capacity in terms of the school. But what I did with it, because I had another child in grade six who had expressed different kinds of things. Um, we can, I can talk to you about that. But what I did with it is um, I, I, I communicated with John Mack. And we had, I had interviewed him um, several years prior to that on, the, on one of the radio programs that I was uh, co-hosting. And uh, he was very interested. And we exchanged emails and, and, and telephone calls. And um, I said, well, how do I, how do I deal with this? So he invited me down to his uh, Cambridge office, and we sat and we talked about it um, for two days. You learned at the foot of the master. You betcha. Listen, uh, Victor, stay tuned. Uh, stay, uh, stay where you are, rather. And when we come back, I, I want to uh, follow up with this story of this... Poor young child, grade two student you suspected was uh, the victim of an alien abduction while you were a principal at a, uh, a Catholic school here in this very city, Toronto, or just west of here. Victor Vigiani, Zealand News Network. My name is Richard Serrett, and this program is called The Conspiracy Show. Why don't you stay a while? You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. All right. Victor Vigiani from Zealand News Network is here and a retired school principal uh, and sharing some rather chilling uh, experiences he had with young children who he believes were abducted by aliens. Now, this first case, uh, Tommy in grade two, uh, arrives uh, in the morning late for class, mm-hmm. uh, looking extremely disheveled, to say the least. This was a disturbed child, had some had mul- a multitude of behavioral issues. Uh, and now we're beginning to see why, perhaps. Mm-hmm. So this one day he, he arrives late and tells you, 
I didn't get any sleep. It's not going to be a good day. The monsters came back. They showed up at the foot of my bed. They're hiding behind my dresser. How did they get into your room, you ask? Well, it starts with the bright lights outside, an orange light. You ask, did they come in through the window? Did they open the window? No, they come through the window. Okay, so then you ask, what did these creatures look like and what did he say you know basically um this is when i started all began to tie things together when he described them as as small monsters and that to me meant something and i tried not to lead him which is very um very difficult to do you know you, you really have to kind of phrase your questions properly in order not to to lead once i got into the mode of trying to find out what he was actually really saying i you, you try not to lead him so i said well how do they come in they they come. They open the window. No, they come through the windows. That was my first clue. That and the orange lights. And then um, one of the other features of a typical abduction uh, scenario that, that has been reported to me before by adults is that these beings stand beside or at the foot of the bed, and there's usually three of them. And I asked them, "How many are there?" He said, "There was three of them." Mm. Which once again, it was another. These all have some sort of similarity uh, to, to other abduction experiences. Did you ask them to draw them? Yes, I did. I, I asked him to say, what do they look like? And he, you know, Tommy wasn't really someone who could do things academically very well, but he could, you know, he could simulate it was. And basically he drew the head of this typical gray that was, you know, very narrow chin, broad forehead with the larger eyes, very, very black, um, no ears, uh, that kind of thing. And when children describe monsters, and, uh, you know, I, th- I have children of my own who did that, or even children in kindergarten, where they, when you talk about monsters, there's always something tall, hairy, and strange with big teeth. And It's under the bed. It's in the closet. That's right. Yeah. No, this was very specific. This little boy went went right down the alley in terms of uh, describing what other typical um, experiencers, uh, uh, experiences were like. And uh, that's uh, he he did do it in a very very um, did draw it in a very, very specific way, and then so you asked me you know what did I do I said well I was very perplexed by the whole thing and that's, actually that's the last time I talked to Tommy about the issue I never really broached the issue with him again. Do you regret that? Um, from a professional point of view, no, I don't regret it. From a personal point of view, yes, I do regret it, because if I were to have uh, pursued it with him, and this is something very uh, very very sensitive. Because of the, sure, you're the you're the principal in a Catholic school, and mm-hmm. you've got a student who you believe is an alien abductee. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't imagine. Yeah, yeah. The blowback if you you know if something oh. like that were to get out and you oh, were for sure. counseling him or oh, that would have been horrendous. It could have, it could have meant my career at the time. <laughs> right, sort of a, a a version of what Dr. John Mack was going oh. through at Harvard. Well, I was warned about that. I was warned about that by friends. Because uh, I'd share this experience um, that, that I had had with this child, with other persons who weren't in education, or and who were in education, and it was very clear that Victor, don't touch this issue, and and I agreed with them because I really couldn't. Not only could I not, uh, you know, pursue this with with Tommy. Uh, from the point of view of me helping this child, um, I, I had other uh, th- things on my plate in order to help this child. There were some severe parental issues with this child um, in terms of the mother and the father and the lack of parenting and some really, really deleterious attempts to control this child at home and in his own neighborhood and with the things that were happening with the child. It wasn't just the child. It was a whole lack of a family environment. Can you share any of that with us? Um well, I testified in court um, ab- about um, the situation with the child, and um, uh, the, it, he, he eventually became a ward of the uh, a ward of the court, uh, and uh, b- because of the, the lack of parenting, and uh, the things that I found out that were going on, not only just from uh, neighbors, and neighbors would call the school and say this little fellow Tommy would be running in the neighborhood wild, he'd be home alone. These are all child abuse issues. Sure, of course. And, um, grade I, two. He's in grade two. So he's, correct. he's seven years old. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. A uh, little small, wiry little guy, just, uh, with fire in his eyes, you know. A good kid, but just, you know, just didn't get, get the right breaks in life. Um, in any case, um, the, the way that I did help the, this little boy was because there were some very, very serious parental issues and abuse issues going on. And when you receive information about that kind of abuse, uh, the, the, the legislation in, in Ontario demands that you act as, a, as, a, as, an edu- as an educator or a doctor or any, you know, you have the same responsibility if you found out something was going on in your neighborhood. As soon as you become aware of it, you are under the compulsion of law to report it to the Children's Aid 
society, which I did do. Let me stop you there and mm-hmm. ask you a, um, a question that I'm, I'm guessing many people listening are, are, are wondering. Okay, so here we have a child who believes that he saw what may have been aliens at the foot of his bed, mm-hmm. was abducted, uh, and then, as you're telling us, that obviously a victim of, of abuse, mm-hmm. neglect, abandonment, emotional, psychological, oh. the, the whole he, nine yards. He went through Horror it. show mm-hmm. for this poor little guy. You betcha. Must have just devastated you, mm-hmm. not being able to, you know, to scoop him up and, and hold this little guy. But mm-hmm. how do we know that he wasn't suffering from some sort of a disassociative disorder that that caused him to hallucinate or to fantasize mm-hmm. about these creatures at the end of his bed? Yeah, um, that's a very good question. And that's one thing that, that ran through my mind because of all of the, the abuse issues that were going on at the time. They were simultaneously going on, that, that just uh, didn't start then. They were going on all year. And even when he was in grade one, when he came to us towards the end of the year of grade one, he moved into grade two. Um, uh, so at the, in answer to your question, um, a lot of the adults that I had, that I had dealt with um, in, in trying to assist them through all of this, and it was very difficult, and the only training that I had was basically my counseling uh, skills as, as an educator, as a teacher, you know, with my, my, um, my postgraduate degree. And that was just counseling. It wasn't psychiatric. It wasn't psychological training at all. It was just uh, I could sit down and talk to people to thresh out issues that were, you know, that were difficult for them. And you have to do that as a teacher, as an educator. You, have, you get good at it after a while. Um, so I, I used those skills to try to, um, you know, get to the issues of what was going on with, with this child. And um, whether, whether I should pursue it in one way in terms of, well, is he clinically not well? And I believe that, that this little boy, uh, Tommy, there were some clinical issues definitely going on. But then you take a look at the abuse issue um, and you try to separate that from the clinical stuff and are they related? And then you've got this whole wedge of this, this sort of ET, extraterrestrial, alien, whatever it might be, wedged in the middle. You have to make some decisions about which side it, it falls on. And the only thing that I could rely on in terms of my own understanding of what was going on was the fact of the similarities of this little guy's you know, story, a great, you know, a seven-year-old kid, and the similarities with um, with the adult experience of what the abduction experience was all about, and he told virtually the same story as he's, as the adult. So I had to lean in that direction in terms of believing isn't the right word, but understanding what he'd gone through, and uh, so that that's the way I leaned toward it. That it wasn't just a clinical thing that was quote unquote wrong with him. Uh, because he told a very similar story, um, and there was another child in the school who had who did who said something else about the whole scenario. So they, they he was in grade six, a different different situation altogether. Yeah, we, and we will get to that case. Sure, uh, but uh, in your experience in dealing with adults who may have been abductees, and in your conversations with Dr. John Mack and his studies, mm-hmm. uh, is there? Is that one of the commonalities, that people who are abducted are involved in some sort of an abusive relationship? That's one of the characteristics, yes. Um, you, 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 will find, you will find many individuals who have had uh, some sort of uh, difficulty in childhood, be, whether it be abuse of some kind uh, or just some sort of disassociative um, situation with their parents. And, and and the reason that this is very important, Richard, is because um, the, the abduction phenomenon appears to be familial. So when you you know if you're, if you're a parent, either the mother or the or the, or the father or both, um, and you have um, these experiences, the chances of your child going through the same thing. Then this is part of the research. You can read that in, in John's book or in many of the other studies that have been done uh, on the abduction phenomenon. It is familial. It go it goes from one f- uh, family member to another. So if mom and dad or if a child was abducted, chances are that one or both of the parents uh, in, in studies have been shown that they've had, had experiences also. So you can see that this thing runs uh, runs like a river. It, it's it's there, it, it runs in the family kind of thing. So, so so if, if you're uh, a parent, let's say you've been an abductee, you've had you're a, a repetitive experiencer with ETs, uh, that obviously is going to do a number on your psyche. So in terms of your parenting skills, I mean, you're going to be maybe emotionally distant, uh, maybe mm-hmm. you're going to take, because you don't know what's going on, you're going to take that frustration out on your child. And so the abuse is visited upon the child. 
as a result of the abduction phenomenon, it's not that the abuse causes a perception of an abduction or an ET experience. That, that's that's my that's my understanding of, of um, much of the research that Bud Hopkins did. Uh, David Jacobs has done that. Also, um, they're on one side of the coin in terms of what the what the whole experience means in terms of a positive or negative experience, because I know they disagreed with how John handled the whole John Mack handled the situation. But yeah, in answer to your question, it, it it's not necessarily the cause of the abuse, because adults who go through this, um, they have all kinds of problems in the rest of their life. They're, they 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 you know, their own credibility. They they doubt themselves. They go to work and they express these feelings about it, or they have behaviors that maybe um, uh, don't fit in with the workplace. They don't talk about the experience, but they just can't fit in, um, and they know they don't fit in. And, you know, a lot of the adults that I dealt with, uh, approximately twelve of them to the person they all had some sort of difficulty managing managing this in their life and understanding it and even accepting the fact that it some of them still to this day that i that uh, you know I, I can still believe that they just will not accept the fact that they that they've had these kinds of encounters that's interesting that that, that you say they are very very hesitant to talk about it very they so. don't talk about mm-hmm. it you got to pull it out of them and even then because i get approached all the time mm-hmm. by people who claim that they are abductees and they you can't shut them up they just want to talk about it talk mm-hmm. about it and talk about it is that a red flag for you if someone is is a little too forthcoming with that kind of, kind of information does that does that sort of erode their credibility as a as a potential abductee uh, a, a, a quick answer to the question is yes. Um, most of the people who that, that I've dealt with, um, they're very reluctant. They will approach you, and uh, I would get phone calls uh, by people or referrals by, by people. You've got to talk to so-and-so because such and such. And when you approach them, um, they're, they're very, very reluctant at the beginning to, to articulate what, what, what they're going on, what's going on in their lives because of the, uh, the ridicule factor. You know, the people just think that they'll be made fun of or automatically. That's what happens within the family, within friends, at the workplace. You just don't talk about it. But once you get through and allow them to, um, feel that you're not judgmental and when they feel that you are not making judgments about what they've been through, then the floodgates open. Victor Vigiani is uh, with us, the executive director of Zeland Communications, a frequent uh, a guest here on the program and a guest host, sits in from time to time. Uh, and we're really focusing uh, on him and his experiences tonight, um, rather than uh, just having him in as a, as a, as a co-host. Uh, because we've never talked about this on the radio, uh, together anyway, his experiences as a school principal in dealing with children who may have been abductees. Now, after that experience with Tommy, mm-hmm. did you start to, to then think back about, oh, there was little Johnny and Peter, uh, <laughs> these other behavioral issues, maybe they too were abducted. Did you talk with other educators who had s- similar suspicions? I mean, how widespread is this? Well, <laughs> that's a f- tremendous, and this came towards the end of my, uh, you know, before I retired, I'd say, probably about four or five years before I actually retired uh, from the position of principal in the school system. And thinking back to what I'd been through at that particular school and thinking back at all the other schools that I'd been to, and then all these children start popping up like little flowers in a garden. You know, my goodness, this, this is this, this is this boy here, and all the behaviors kind of meld together. And I would have given my right arm to sit down and talk with any number of these children to find out exactly what might have been going on in their lives at that time. But I'd be just guessing. You know, it's something that's how long is a piece of string? You just don't know. <laughs> All right. We'll uh, take a time out, come back. More of my conversation with a good friend of the program, Victor Vigiani, retired school principal, executive director, Zeland Communications, the alien abduction phenomenon and school children. Stay with us. Different views make great conversation. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To speak to Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. Well, you can try and get through, but it seems like our phone system has... um is fried at the moment, so uh, nobody can call in. We can't call out. We are prisoners uh, here in Liberty Village. Ah, irony. Um, actually, I'm irony deficient. My doctor just told me. Uh, Victor Vigiani is uh, is here 35 years, an educator in the Catholic school system here in Ontario, uh, a school principal, 
and uh, are telling us some chilling accounts uh, of, um, well, this is heartbreaking. More than anything, it's chilling, but it's also heartbreaking. You have small children, uh, potentially alien abductees. And we, we heard about Johnny, this grade two student, uh, eventually became a ward of the state, well, a ward of the, uh, the government, uh, here in Ontario. Do we, do we, do we know what happened to, uh, do we know what happened to uh, little Johnny? Uh, actually, we've been calling him Tommy, but that's okay. Tommy, Tommy sorry. <laughs> Doesn't matter, that's not his real name, but in any case. Um, no, we don't know. Uh, we, we know that he was removed, uh, from the, from the home. And he was removed from the school. And once the uh, the courts do that, um, basically, it's just a child starts another life uh, outside of the, uh, the 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 atmosphere that he that he was um, that he was brought up in. Now, uh, I I know that there's another case. This was a six year old student, and I want to talk to you, but uh, about that. But I just something else dawned on me that mm-hmm. uh, I need to ask you. When we were talking about uh, Dr. John Mack earlier with um, a filmmaker and trying to make his uh, life into a, a Hollywood movie. Uh, and, and, and you told me about the aerial school in Zimbabwe and these, these school children that had an encounter, uh, an experience with a UFO or a, a craft of some sort and were communicated telepathically with, mm-hmm. with the occupants of that craft. Uh, and this commonality again of, uh, a message from these ETs, you know, we're making a mess of the environment and, and, uh, we've got a, you know, we've got to heal the earth and so forth. How do we square that message with the the human wreckage that's, that, that happens in the wake of these abductions? I mean, yeah. it doesn't square. Are these the same, are these the same ETs uh, that are communicating with school children with this positive message that, that are leaving this, this horrible, horribleness in its wake? Mm-hmm. That's something that I've struggled with um, virtually since I got involved in this. It's one of the reasons why I stopped doing it, um, because it, it, in, in a way, it doesn't square. And I think that part of the part of the whole, that whole question is, you know, it's 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 the line between good and evil. You know, it, is where where is the line between good and evil? And what and if there is a line between good and evil, what's the margin of error when something? Is evil and it becomes good, or does something good become evil? You're you're dealing with um, the concepts of good and evil, which are very very structured in our materialistic world, and uh, what we perceive as evil or wrong or unjust or whatever. It, from what I've learned, it may be just the whole integrated experience of our life that's good and evil, and that evil sometimes plays a role, an instructive role in our life. And um, what some of these uh, abductees have been through is, in fact, um, uh, wreckage. As you, that's a great word because these people do become ruined. However, what does happen, and I think if, if people read, um, I think it's chapter 13 in uh, John Mack's book, um, uh, Abductions. It's chapter 13, uh, page 293 it starts on. And it's about a fellow named Peter. And he was a manager of a hotel. And... Peter was initially traumatized by the situation that he, that he, when he was taken. He was absolutely traumatized by it. But then as time went on and John worked with him and tried to discover more and more about what was going on, Peter began to realize that the whole transformational um, uh, process that was going on. Initially, it was a very negative experience, but eventually Peter got to learn that the the stress that he was being put under transformed him into a different kind of person, and he began to understand why these beings were doing what they were doing. Now, you read chapter 13, you'll see exactly why, uh, but it became a, a non-victim situation and that's one of so you can come out the other side but only only if you're if you're being shepherded by someone like dr john mack but there aren't a lot of dr john macks out there that's part of the ridiculous nature of the preposterous nature of this whole of this whole phenomenon we don't get shepherd uh, we don't get shepherded a lot and you know we just don't some people don't have the opportunity and i would i would venture to say that there are thousands if not millions of people out there who are still among the homeless I mean, I, I was in I was in San Francisco uh, over the past two weeks, and the number of homeless people uh, th- that are there, walking around, screaming at walls, uh, with megaphones, uh, talking to you about Jesus Christ is coming, and it's, you're, while you're standing in line to wait, waiting for a, a show, they're, they're they're all over the place, and these are the people who have been released into the into the rest of the world, and now I don't know if they've been abducted or not, 
But this is some of the human carnage that's out there. And the millions of people who are not getting the kind of help that they need to understand, A, first of all, that they have had experiences like this, and it may be related to their to their psychosis. It may not be. We just don't know. That's the whole problem. We just don't know exactly what it is and what it means to the whole scheme of things because we have this, this arrogance that we know everything. Okay, we, we, we understand the realm of, of everything. That's what science tells us. But we don't. We don't know everything that's going on in the cosmos. We're just one small bit of mud going around the sun, and we're just sort of dancing around trying to figure out what comes next. And we can't even figure out what happens after this corporeal entity we call bodies. Um, you know, what, what happens after that? What happens when, once this container goes? Do, do I live on? Do I, what, what, is there heaven or hell? I mean, it's all these unanswered questions, and we seem to think that we've got all the answers, and we don't. So when you talk about have people been taken by extraterrestrials, uh, the evidence is in the, in the eyes of the people that you're talking to. You eventually began or begin to see these people are authentic. They really have gone through something that we just don't understand. And when you get the evidence of the similarities, you say, listen, this is, this is, it points in this direction. We're not absolutely sure, but it points in this direction. And you have to pursue it. You can't just leave it alone. All right, when we come back, we'll talk about another case uh, that you experienced uh, as an educator in the Catholic school system, another student, grade 6, who may have been an alien abductee. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show, my conversation with Victor Vigiani. Stay where you are. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. AM 740. Victor Vigiani from Zealand Communications is no stranger to the program, uh, but now he's uh, being interviewed. He's the one sitting in the other chair uh, being asked tough questions, and we are discussing his experiences as as an educator in the Catholic school system uh, for some 35 years as a principal for part of that time, and uh, his encounters with students, young students, who may have been the victim of alien abductions. Now, we talked about uh, Johnny, or Tommy, sorry, Tommy, who the uh, grade two student we call Tommy. Uh, there's another case involving a grade six student. Uh, we'll call him Peter. Sure, that's fine. All right. Tell uh, us about, about Peter. A, a very different situation, and it came about um, by looking at some of the artwork that was going on in the classroom. And a lot of times, uh, uh, children... Whenever any type of assessment is done of, of children, one of the things that the psychologists or uh, the psychometricians that we used to employ uh, to, to get at these issues, one of the things, in addition to asking questions and so on, they, they're asked to draw things. Because artwork is a, is a very, um, or the ability to draw, is, is very instrumental in understanding um, how, the, how the child sees himself or herself in the context of their friends, of their family, um, uh, you know, they may look at a uh, drawing, draw your family, okay? And uh, if, the, if the child draws himself in the family and they have brothers and sisters and they're, and they're all the same size and mommy and daddy uh, are much larger than, than them, they, you know, there's a, there's a certain significance to that. Uh, if they see that if they draw themselves as larger than the rest of the family and mom and dad are smaller, that sometimes that happens. That means something. Yeah, it's, it's, the, the child art is, 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 ther- is, um, is definitely a pathway to, to therapy and understanding where a child is at, especially if there are symptoms of, of, of things going on that we're trying to find out about. Artwork is one of the things that you, that you go to in, in addition to asking them all kinds of other questions or writing tests or whatever, or assessment tests. Now, th- th- this individual child, um, uh, Peter, grade six, um, I noticed uh, a, a sort of a, a drawing that he had done and it was a big circle. It was the Earth, and he had all the continents drawn on it. And then he had um, children standing on top of the uh, at the top of the Earth. Okay, that sort of if you looked at it like a clock. Right. So there were children uh, standing, let's say, from ten o'clock on the clock, right around you know upright on the edge of the Earth, you know, till about two o'clock. And then there might have been what ten children that he had drawn, but <laughs> one of them was a little alien creature. Okay. Okay. Typical, you know, big buggy eyes, a large head, and so on. And I sort of picked up on it. I said, you know, what's what's going on with that? I asked the teacher. He said, oh, that's that's this Peter's artwork. I said, oh, interesting. And uh, I, w- I wouldn't say Peter had any type of necessarily um, behavioral anomalies, but it was a rather unique 
unique child. Very, very bright. A good, good family life. Um, no necessarily uh, deleterious things going on in the home. Um, but um, I had opportunities to speak with him about certain things that he was doing in the playground, you know, not getting along with others and, you know, not, nothing serious. I mean, this was just typical stuff. Mm-hmm. Nothing nothing that I would categorize as really um, problematic, but just regular discipline issues. Was this a regular theme in his artwork? Um, Aliens, or was it just the one? There's this one drawing that I saw. Okay. But then after that, I got him to do two things. Um, because of this, what he, what he was talking to me about. Um, and uh, it happened one day in, in my office, and um, he, he, he was very upset. I, talked, I was talking to him about something that happened in the playground. And he said, yeah, I don't watch TV anymore, and I, 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 I don't like why. I said, why not? He said, because my aunt comes on the television all the time. I said, oh, your, dear. Your, your aunt. Okay, fine. What do you mean? He said, well, I can hear my aunt and see my aunt on the television, you know, you, know, you, you get that sort of uh, that, that snowy effect right. on the television, and he could see his aunt through the television, and he would be, she would be talking to him about that, and I thought that was rather, rather strange. Indeed. Yeah, very strange. So I didn't think anything of it. So I said, just draw me a picture of it. So he did, and um, and it was basically him sitting at the back of him, his head. You know, he's blonde. And he was looking at a TV off his, off his left shoulder, and there was a fuzzy picture of a television, and it was his, his aunt. It was a very foggy picture of his aunt. I find it. Didn't think anything of it. And uh, that was it. That was it for that particular uh, instance. And, um, and th- then he said to me, it's almost like I'm feeling like I'm walking in a forest sometimes. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, I've, I've been walking in, in the forest. And um, I said, have you really been walking in a forest? No, he says, I just, I'm think, I think I'm walking in a forest. And I sit down by a tree, a big, huge tree. And then this thing comes around. Like it's a, it's, I said, what, what kind of thing? He said, it's a kind of a glowing thing. Mm. And I said, okay, fine. Okay, what does that mean? What do you mean? How far away is it? What does it look like? And then he begins to describe, very similar to the aerial school, these things hopping around outside of the of the of the craft of this. this of these this. things, creatures. That's right. Yeah, they're creatures. They they come out of the of this bright light, and they they, they bounce around. And this is virtually uh, similar to, uh, almost similar to what the aerial school children were talking about. They, these beings got out of the craft, and they were hopping. They weren't really wa- walking. Okay. So um, now. I would not categorize this as an abduction experience necessarily, um, but it could be. It could have been a dream. We ju- we just don't know. But once again, um, it was it was similar to the other uh, characteristics of the, the alien. Let's call it an alien encounter, or right. at least an ET encounter, right. not necessarily an abduction. So there's I, I make a differentiation there. There there are some people who have this kind of encounter. It's not necessarily being taken. Right, a close encounter. Yeah, a close encounter. Third kind. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So uh, back to that picture with the, the children mm-hmm. hovering above the earth and one of them looked like an alien. Did mm-hmm. you talk to him directly about that? Yeah. And what did yeah. he say? Um, uh, he said, well, this is like, this is what I see, this is what I saw in, in the, uh, in, when I'm in the forest. Ah, okay. That's how we link the two together. Did you have other conversations with, with Peter? No, I didn't. Um, it was uh, it was it was the same year as with with the other little fellow, and there was a point at which Richard, I just had to stay away from it. I, if I if I continued to pursue it, um, it would have been it would have been trouble for me. When you went to see uh, the late Dr. John Mack at Harvard mm. to get some advice on mm. how do I deal with these kids, what did he tell you? <laughs> he, <laughs> I remember that's a great question. Um, I was sitting in his office, and uh, and we were talking about the artwork, and you know both of the children. And then he asked me. He said, "Victor, what kind of political capital do you have in your school board?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. And I said, "Well, as an administrator, I, you know, I would imagine that I'm relatively well respected. You know, I was promoted, and you know, I'm, I, I think I do a pretty good job, and I, I do a lot of committee work, and." Um, he said. He said to me, "Well, would you feel comfortable bringing this forward? You know, would you like? Would you?" And uh, he he was the one who got right to the point right, right away. You know, and to be quite honest, with you, I said, "I don't. I don't think that would be possible for me. I don't think I'd have the first of all the, the the clinical background to even make an assessment as to what this might be. I have an intuitive feeling as to what it might be, and even a personal feeling of what I know it might be. But if I started to make this an issue," 
um, uh, child, you know, child abduction becoming a phenomenon within the, within schools. Um, I can I can tell you right now, it would ruffle feathers from here up to the Ministry of Education. Your career would have been over. I think so. I think so. Um, and it might even be over uh, <laughs> retroactively because of tonight. <laughs> I can't yeah. touch you now. Yeah. Uh, but well, you. Let me ask you again about these cases. When you talk mm. to Dr. John Mack, based mm. on your description yeah. of these cases, what was his opinion? Um, the, the the one about Peter, he wasn't really... Um, I, we didn't talk about that one much at all because there was really no um, necessarily evidence that this could have been other things, okay? And he wasn't really... You know, I, I was more focusing on the one with, with little Tommy. I really right. did... And um, he 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 was convinced that there was something, and what he wanted to do was, you know, he, or what he would have done is speak with the, with the, with the parents. He would he would be someone who would have, if the child would have exhibited this kind of thing, if it come to him in a in his in a in his practice, he what he would have done is is speak with the parents, and that's something that. Um, could, could have been an option if that's, this happened in a different time and place. The parents might have been involved in it, and if they were caring parents, or even if they weren't caring parents, it might have been something that he could have broached with, with them in order to find out exactly if this had been a familial kind of thing. So um, that, that's what I, I think could, you know, he could have backed it up that way in terms of speaking with the parents in order to draw them to find out what they had gone through as children or even as adults in terms of their, their experiences. Well, after you retired and word got out that you were, this was an area that you had some expertise yeah. in, people who suspected they or a loved one was abducted started to reach out to you. Uh-huh. And you dealt with a, a, about another dozen cases or so. Approximately, yeah. Um, what? Um, but then finally you pulled away. Yeah. Why? It just got too stressful. Um, getting calls in the middle of the night from people... Um, uh, crying, uh, emotionally distraught, telling me stories that I just, I just, <laughs> I just couldn't, I couldn't believe uh, the, the kinds of experiences that these people would have gone through, especially the um, um, the, the ones by some of the men that, who, who had experienced things in, in terms of their genitals and so on and so forth. Uh, and this is something that um, is is goes right to the heart of the issue with with a lot of the men that are taken. Uh, the way the, the experiments um, are, are performed on them in their genitals and obtaining semen and so on and so forth. Uh, that that kind of thing um, is just gut gut wrenching. Uh, what do you what do you say to someone like that? Where do you, you wh- where do you tell them to go? Who do you tell them to talk to? Well, if if I felt that there was a uh, something very very serious going on, um, I, I would refer them to you know to a psychologist. You go go talk to someone who has a professional skills. All I was was just uh, an open ear. I listened and I, I, I attempted to try to remove some of the trauma in terms of them becoming victims of this. You can you can sink into a, a place where you become a voluntary victim. You can you let it take take you over. Sure. What I moved towards is trying to not make them feel uh, as they were victims. As 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 you move through this whole experience, that's what Mac, that what I learned from Mac is that eventually you 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 take on the the role of a non-victim in this. And once you get to that point, it's easier to understand, if not accept, it's easier to understand what what might be going on. But if if this phenomenon is real, mm-hmm. and these people are victims initially of an alien abduction, a psychologist isn't going to be able to help them. You're right. Yeah. And that's the whole dead end part of this whole thing uh, is that there really isn't anyone, to my knowledge, who can really go through this and, you know, wring the towel out until you get all the water out. It just it's just not going to happen. There, 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 there may be some explanation to all of this once this issue of contact uh, gets resolved. We'll get to understand what's really going on. Um, and I don't know how far away that is. You know, it's just <laughs> you, you you go through it, and it's it's a very it's a very gut wrenching situation. It's like it's hard to tell the difference between when they're tightening the screws or loosening them. You really don't know when things are getting worse or when they're getting better. Sometimes you really can't tell the difference. And I think there's going to come a point where we're going to know about this stuff. Where, where we're going to have oh, there's the big eureka. The oh, aha, oh, that's why. I think that's coming. But um, I, I just don't see that on the horizon um, in, in my lifetime. I, I and in the meantime, there's really nowhere for these people to go. There, there are a few. There's Dr. David Jacobs in, right. in Philadelphia. Yeah. Uh, and now I'm suddenly realizing what a large hole Dr. John Mack has left uh, 
courtesy of one drunk driver in England in 2004. That's right. It is a, it's like a, a big hole in, in reality. I mean, if this man was still around, I, I believe that he would have become more of an activist uh, in, in, in this. And, uh, and, and perhaps I would have um, taken on the, the challenge of, of uh, moving along with him and, and raising this issue in the school board. It's still something that I'm convinced if, if someone um, did do this, uh, raise the issue at that level, especially with the, with the psychologists that are involved in, 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 in the Ministry of Education here in Ontario, uh, in, in boards of education, if the, and the social workers that are involved and the, and the clinical uh, psychometricians that are involved, if these people were to understand what's going on, not only to the adults but to the children, um, I wonder if the same kind of resistance that John uh, Mack met would, would, would come into play uh, here in Ontario in the school systems because they're out there. The, the children are, are, are out there that have, have had these experiences. There's just absolutely no doubt about it. Wow. Victor, thank you so much for uh, hanging out with me this last hour. And uh, it's been enlightening. Wow, yeah. And disturbing. Victor Vigiani, Zealand News Network, Zealand Communications. Uh, quickly, uh, the uh, the website for the uh, the blog. Just Google um, uh, Zeland Communications. Just Google that, and uh, it's got a long URL to it. So just but just Google Zeland Communications, and you'll get right to it. All right, Tim Spreen, thanks for production. I'm back next week with a brand new show. Hope you'll be along for the ride. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed. Nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. <laughs>